midlife. The Midwest. It's the middle class. The millennials. Baby boomers. West Coast. East Coast. The far right. The far left. What we need is some middle ground. Middle ground. Middle. Middle. Middle ground. All right. Welcome, groundlings. Hello. It's a new week here on Middle Ground. I'm Chris Otto. I'm Chris Kelsch. Lots going on. Weather's starting to heat up here in the Midwest and uh, a lot of fun stuff. Big, big week. Sad week, but... uh, Lots to talk about this week. We'll try and get right to it. How you doing? I'm good. You forgot to say we're just a couple of guys trying to sort it all out and find some balance. The audience knows that, but it's true, Chris. We are. No, just a you got to repeat it every know, time because we I have know. hundreds I of know, new listeners every thanks, week. Thanks, all new people. Welcome aboard. And Chris is right. We are two guys in the middle of it all: Midwest, midlife, mid crisis, mid whatever, middle America. You name it, we're in the <laughs> middle of it, and we're trying to sort it all out along with you, good people. And we're sorting it all out this week having to do with paranormal activity. That's what we're sorting out with today's guest. He is a fellow podcaster, which is kind of cool, but he's not just any podcaster. He is the host of America's most popular podcasts that focus on the paranormal. The paranormal ghosts. and uh, ghosts. Right. I'm a believer. You don't have to convince me. I've heard enough stories and seen enough to know that there's something going on out there. Sorry. And so, yeah, Sorry. you have to yeah, you have to do that. And so uh, this was a real treat. This is a real treat to listen to someone who's uh, kind of heard it all, heard it all, and seen it. I don't I don't want to say seen it all, but heard it all. And so this is going to be a fun one. And so we're looking yes. forward to that. But before we get to that, please, uh, first of all, thank you to those of you who actually did go to iTunes and rated us. A couple new reviews, some ratings. So right now we are five-star rated on iTunes, my friends, and quickly rising up the polls. But we need more. We want more. We're greedy when it comes to reviews and ratings. Come on, Zagat. Get out there. Review us. Give us another five stars. We're uh, No, seriously, thanks to those guys who did log on and review us. And not only just gave us five stars, but really said some nice things that mean a lot to Chris and I. Uh, it shows that you That's guys right. listen and you care, so we appreciate that. Uh, some social media updates. We're on Instagram right now. This is cool. Chris uh, put together a cool little Instagram account, so you've got pictures of the people that have been on the show. You can actually see what we look like. What's the um, what's the handle on that one, Chris? It is uh, Middle Ground the Podcast, I think. is, Or maybe it's Middle Ground underscore the underscore podcast. should come up if you type in Middle Ground. But, yeah, it is the only place. Uh, that you can see pics, photographs of uh, our guests if they've allowed pics. I mean, obviously, some of the guests have chosen not to reveal their uh, their actual names or identities, so they're they're not on there. But uh, you can see what uh, people look like. Daryl Carillo. You can see what uh, Amanda Gavin looks like. Ciara um, Lynch. See what Ciara Lynch last week. Uh, which quickly, by the way, I think I told you this, but Ciara Lynch last week's episode. Already the second most listened to episode of Middle Ground. Yeah, and I'll say this about all, just about all of the those types of women that we've had on the show. They're extremely good at taking selfies because <laughs> because you, you posted some of their selfies <laughs> on Instagram. That is art, my friend. Those guys have been doing that for a long time. They are very good at that. I can't believe the quality of some of those, but. Uh, I'll let you guys log on and check it out for yourself. So that's cool. Uh, as always, uh, any emails or thoughts or suggestions, you guys want to be a guest on the show or have ideas for, for guests, uh, we're open to that. Chris and Chris MG at gmail.com. Give us a, a shout out there and we'll, uh, right. we'll listen to your suggestions there. As always, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and we're everywhere. So it's starting to happen and, and we owe it all to you guys. So thanks for tuning in. 
That's right. Louise is doing a fine job with all of the <laughs> in, in in the social media department. Absolutely. So some uh, we lost a couple giants this week. Uh, one earlier in the week, uh, actually just after release after we released last week's episode. Yeah. But then another one we heard about today. Uh, I'm in the state of Michigan right now, so this is particularly huge news. But the loss of Mr. Hockey, Gordy Howe. Number nine. Number nine. Played in the production line in the great uh, Detroit Red Wings teams of the 1950s and 60s. That's right. Along with uh, Sid Abel and, and Ted Lindsay. Uh, just an icon in the city of Detroit. Played until he was 52 years old. and uh, Unbelievable. It was not a fluke. It was not just some guy skating around out there. The guy had like 26 assists that year or something like that. Just a phenomenal... Uh, Phenomenal icon for hockey and uh, and for the uh, city of Detroit. Uh, true story. His last year in the NHL was Wayne Gretzky's first year, so it was the appropriate, literally, the passing of the torch. Yeah, he uh, and no coincidence that uh, Gordy Howe, of course, famous number nine, and Gretzky, of course, taking number ninety nine. Nice. Uh, paying tribute to uh, to Mr. Hockey. But yeah, 88 years old and a huge part of Detroit sports history. Sad to see him go. But not the only loss this week, of course, the greatest. <laughs> the greatest. The greatest of all time. Yeah. Or as the kids say now, the goat. <laughs> well, the funeral, yeah, the funeral was in his hometown in Louisville. Not that old. I mean, 74 is not that old in this day and age. But He uh, battled Parkinson's for 30 years. Yeah, I think he was diagnosed in his early 40s, just uh, just a handful of years after he retired from boxing, but still managed to be just a goodwill ambassador all over the world. And, you know, I was trying to explain to my 19-year-old son who Muhammad Ali was and what he, what he means to our culture, really. And, you know, I said he's probably, at least over the last 30, 40, 50 years, the most famous person on the planet. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. And he had such a cultural impact. He came of age, uh, and literally this was the thing about him, he gave away three years of his fighting career in his right. prime at the height of his – because he would not go to Vietnam. So he definitely took a stand and uh, – and although it was very, very unpopular at the time, I think now that people, you know, with the benefit of history and hindsight and things like that, I think most people look back on that and really admire him for that. He gave up a lot to make that right. statement. And, uh, you know, can you imagine, like, can you imagine, like, Kobe Bryant in the prime of his career saying, ah, I don't agree with this. I'm not playing no. ball. I mean, you just, you just cannot imagine a modern athlete, regardless of their greatness, taking a stand right. like that. Well, and, and so. just a different just a different part of uh, our history and our relationship with Islam because he actually converted to the nation of Islam and this is the 60s uh, black, you know, the black muslim movement uh, and could a religion have a more different uh, image today than it did then. I mean, completely different in terms of how they express their religion and you know the violence and uh, their animosity towards Christianity. And Ali was none of those things. He was the opposite, um, and really just a, a, one of the greatest role models of all time. Yeah, absolutely. I was crazy about him growing up, and I was a little young to understand the complexities of it and what he meant on that side of things. But just as a kid. You, you have a sense for what's great. You know, you have older brothers or a dad or someone who follows someone real closely, so you realize, oh, these guys are following someone. I better get in line, too, and figure out what's going on. And that's how I kind of got attached to them. And, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And remember when you could still watch fights on TV back then? Oh, yeah. You didn't necessarily have to get pay-per-view. You could pop on ABC Sports 
on a Saturday night, and there would be a fight and things like That's that. That's right. So it was cool. A lot of good memories of watching I float that. like really a butterfly, cool. sting like a bee. Your hands can't hit what your eyes can't see. That's right. So we lost two big icons this week. We pay tribute to both of them here in middle ground fashion. So... Another big milestone this week. It needs to be acknowledged that for the first time in the history of the United States of America, one of the major parties has officially nominated a woman for president of the United States. That's huge. Yeah, it is huge. It's unbelievable, really. If you think back to the 80s when we were in high school or entering college, if someone would have told us during our, not only during our lifetimes, but in the next 30 years, there will be a black president and a woman running as a major candidate for one of the parties. I mean, it would have been, we, we, would, have, we, we would have been dumbfounded. We would have been dumbfounded Absolutely because, because dumbfounded. we were growing up, that was still when white America led the way. You know, those with that the country was at that time run by the old white guys. I mean, for lack of a better term, I mean, you could see it starting to change. The demographics were starting to change, but there's no way you could envision it changing to that extent, you know what I mean? So you're right. Even if Crazy. imagine it or picture it back then in the 80s. Having said all of that, uh, I wouldn't vote for her if you paid me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we don't have a lot of choices, Chris, but I'll leave it up to you. I, I, I totally get where you're coming from. Now, wait a second. Now, you have never said on this podcast, either one way or the other, are you voting for Hillary Clinton? Uh, when, I, when it comes to looking at the executive branch of the United States of America, I'm looking for a couple of very specific things, and it's not necessarily <laughs> ideology. I am looking for a competent executive. And when I look at someone who was in the Senate for six years, uh, served as uh, Secretary of State, First Lady of the United States, uh, is she a competent executive? Is she fit to lead? And uh, that's what I'm looking at right now. Um, I know Donald Trump. I don't view Trump as a competent executive. Um, I view I view him as someone who loves to be adored and loves that aspect of it, loves being on stage and all of that stuff. But I don't, I, as I've told you before, I don't know that he necessarily wants the job. I really don't. I don't think Donald Trump wants to be taking 6.30, 7.30 a.m. meetings with the NSA talking about the security threats and doing all. I don't see him that dedicated to it. I don't. That's That's my view of it. So, all right, so let I me think. ask, let me ask again. So are you voting for Hillary Clinton? <laughs> most likely, yeah, yeah, most likely, yeah. North of 50% on that. Wow, I, I can't believe you made it 15 episodes without actually saying that. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's what, yeah not bad. I, I like to be mysterious. <laughs> yeah, apparently. So, well, I apparently. think anybody who's listened more than once knows that I ain't voting for Trump and I ain't voting for Clinton. So I Sitting don't know. It out? I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it out? What are you doing? That would that would be a, that would be a statement in its own. But you know, I'm seriously looking at Gary Johnson, the Libertarian nice. candidate. Excellent. Uh, out of New Mexico. Out of New Mexico, and he's got the former governor of uh, of Massachusetts. Uh, whose name escapes me right now, running as his VP candidate. But, I mean, two experienced chief executives of right. two major Very states. Nice. So I, I'm looking at that, but I right now I'm still looking for property in either Canada or the U.K. <laughs> and you'll find it. You will find it, my friend. Uh, good good call on the Libertarians. He, they were on uh, Fareed Zakaria's show last week, and I was watching them a little bit. And all I have to say is they're not getting any press at all. Therefore, I think if you ask them to be a guest on this show, I think they'd probably say yes in a heart because I don't think they have anything else lined up. <laughs> Actually, that's not bad. We should go for that. 
Uh, Louise is telling William Weld. William Weld is the former governor of Massachusetts. Thanks, Louise. Thanks, Louise. Boy, she is just a, uh, I'm telling you, she is a wealth of information over there in the booth. Is she working out? I, it looks like she's been hitting the gym. I still she don't is. know if she's a man or a she woman. Is. Uh, she just, Whatever she uh, is, she's beautiful. She, you can't see her. She's flexing right now for you. Nice. <laughs> Calm down. Uh, okay, actually, uh, she's waving her arms. Here we go. This is it. it is. Folks, this is the time every week where we open up the Tinder box to find out if anything at all, and please God let there be something this week, is happening on Tinder. Chris, it's tell like us. Gilligan's, it's like Gilligan's Island. Lots of activity at the end of the thing. They never get off the island. So lots of activity, <laughs> but nothing ever happens. Just uh, so this goes, so I have to ask tail. you, so audience yeah. bear with us. This goes back to something. Do you remember, Chris, because you're a part of this, a few, maybe a month, month and a half ago, I forget when, I texted you uh, a profile of someone on Tinder where she goes through and describes all the things she loves, and then the very last sentence, she says a certain part of her anatomy, and then size equals small. Do you remember when I sent you that one? Da-da-da, size small. Size Remember that? I sent you that one. What What was small? Her pussy. Oh, my God. Remember that? No, I, yeah. I, 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 apparently, I, I guess I don't. I don't remember that. I think I yeah, would have remembered that. I sent you that. that, and you went, oh, my God. Yeah, is it da, 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 my, this is what I love, blah, 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 pussy size small. Okay, that's what she said. Wow. And I went, remember that? And I went, that's what a bizarre thing to say on Tinder, but not bizarre. And apparently not, because this yeah. is the word. But, let, you know, let's be real, right? Positive characteristic nonetheless. Right. Yeah. If you happen. Yeah, I don't know if it's positive or negative. I guess it's positive. I don't I don't know how to how to view that. Um. But anyways, long story short, long story short, uh, she reached out to me, uh, and uh, she, her opening line to me was, I don't believe you're funny. I don't know if you know this about Tinder. Most of the game, the game in Tinder is just to mess with people. I don't. There's people on Tinder that are just messing with people. They don't actually want to hook up. <laughs> they just want to push your buttons a little bit and get you pissed off. So she she goes, I don't. Her line to me was, I don't believe you're very funny. And I wrote back to her, You have no idea how much that hurts me. And uh, we go back and forth, blah blah blah. And then she goes, She hates small talk. And I said, okay, I understand that. You know, she goes, I think it's wasteful. And I go, okay, so that I figure that's my cue to get to the point. So I come back with a fairly clean strike right down the middle. I think we should meet. She says and that, then, or you said that? No, I say that. I nice. Say that. Wow, she you're just going right in for yeah. it, just diving right in. Right in for it. Well, I go, I understand that. You don't want to waste time. Yeah. You know what you want. I think we should meet. And what'd she and say? She comes, she goes, we can meet, but you have, and then she goes and lists. A bunch of requirements, all of which I think I have. She goes, you have to have a job. You have to be funny <laughs> and interesting. You have to be blah, blah, blah. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I have, as you know, I have a job. You know, get up, go to work yeah. every day, pay the bills. Right. Um, and then I, um, funny and interesting, like like a, like launched a podcast this year. Does that count? That's got to count for something, right? Sure. That's kind of funny and interesting. Yeah. So I sent her a link to the, to the Middle Ground podcast. And, you know, then I told her, I didn't send her any links to the short films I do, but I told her about them. So I'm like, I think I've got this covered. Yeah. And then she backed off 
And so I, that leads me to believe that she was never interested in the in the, in, the, in anything other than messing with me. So or, I, I fell for it. I went for it. But I got nothing to show for it. Or maybe she went and listened to the podcast and that was it. She just ghosted on you, man. Yeah, maybe. But you know what? She was a ghost to begin with because her Tinder profile had no pictures of her. It was a picture of very sexy shoes. Oh, no, 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 um, no, no, no. Uh, and, and looking out over a, a, a very, you know, like a high rise. It was taken from a high rise in Chicago in River North. I could tell from the view. And like this is her way of saying, I, you don't get a picture of me, but I'm very sexy. No, no, no. See, this goes back. Okay, I'm going to go back to my uh, my social media on online dating days rule number one right if a woman is very attractive a she knows it and b she wants you to know it so a woman who's proud of the way she looks puts a great picture of herself on these sites yeah if you've got something to hide you don't like your nose you don't like your eyebrows you don't like your hair the shape of your whatever then you try to go the tease route and put your sexy shoes or some pictures of your legs or your cleavage or whatever but if they do that they're hiding something and then you get the excuse well no i have i have a very high profile job and i just don't want bullshit then what do you do what are you doing on an online dating site then risking (laughs) you you know it it doesn't make any sense so no if your face isn't on there you're ashamed of something thing swipe swipe left swipe left. totally agree yeah totally agree and, and but i couldn't resist but uh so she's on according to her profile 40 years old went to florida state iq of 143 dress size eight so she's giving all these statistics about herself but you're right not showing any pictures no. so you're right even with the statistics even that um, it's like she's yeah even even that. that's a little desperate that's like but i'm a really nice per- nice person and i'm a size 8 and i went to florida state and this and this and this i just don't want to show you a picture of myself so i want you to fall in love with me without even seeing my face because i'm butt ass yeah. ugly i fell out of the ugly tree <laughs> and i hit every damn branch on the way down that's what she's telling you anyways that's it close it up louise close it up close flex it up. those muscles and close it up there was nothing there to begin with i'm sorry You want to go? Let's go straight into that. You want to go into dick pics? I got one for you. You and I um, both kind of like this guy and have shared some emails. Hey, check this podcast out. He is a good podcaster in this. He's he's good at what he does, but I don't like the way he, he conducts himself. When he's not doing what he does, he, well, this should be an interesting debate. I uh, my dick pick this week is Bill Simmons. Um, I wow, don't like really? Way, yeah, I don't like the way he try. I real and I'm serious about this. Actually, I don't like the way he trashes ESPN since he left. I don't like the way he handled that. I don't like the way he handled his firing or dismissal from ESPN. But just for those who may not uh, know the sort of the ins and outs of this, so Bill Simmons, a former sports writer, writer for ESPN, and great, really, you, got, you have to admit, fantastic writer, really funny, really knowledgeable, way into basketball, way into the NBA, became so, sort of a cult hit on ESPN, so they gave him his own, he eventually uh, started writing for Grantland, uh, and then uh, Grantland was like his platform, that's what you're talking about, right, his playground. I think there was a falling out there over philosophy or creativity or whatever so espn pulls the plug on grantland so now uh simmons is going away forming his own company he's i know he launched the ringer like three podcasts in the last couple weeks the ringer he's got a website coming he's he's making himself in a cottage industry 
all around Bill Simmons. And uh, so so he he's trashing ESPN, huh? Is that, that's, that's what's going on. Yeah, and uh, he trashed him in, a, in an interview on, with The Hollywood Reporter, and then he went on Twitter the day after and apologized and realized the, the error of his ways. And I think there are things about him, I think it, sometimes he just comes across, and I think he is a spoiled kind of a frat kid type of guy, and I don't like it. I, I, I think he's talented. I think he's a good writer. I like the way he threads pop culture into his writing and things like that. But let's be clear, ESPN gave him everything. He, clearly, he saw the opportunity to build a brand around himself, and he saw that's what was coming, so he wanted to jump at that opportunity, so he blew out the ESPN thing. And the dynamics of the business were changing, and you know, obviously ESPN couldn't be affording to, shelling, you know, to shell out X amount of millions of dollars to make this website work and keep this huge staff and all these things. But when you do that, you have to remember, you have to keep, you know, keep in mind that you've got a staff of people underneath you that don't make as much money as you do, that don't make millions and millions of dollars, that can't make the easy choices that you can make that can go, oh, I'm done with this. I can just go over here. You've got people underneath you that committed to you and believed in it. That's the part I think he doesn't realize. And that's why he makes, that's why he makes my dick pick uh, for this week. What? So I have a dilemma this week because uh, you nailed it there with Bill Simmons, but there were so many choices this week. Do I go Maria Sharapova for her two-year ban from tennis for screwing up a drug test? Uh, but I think I've, I settled on one particular guy, but then it's sort of sort of like you know the fingers of guilt started to, to trail all over this story. Brock Turner... The kid who was convicted of rape at Stanford University gets six months, and then as the story unfolds, who's the dick in this story? Is it Brock Turner who commits the rape? Is it his father who writes a letter defending his son, saying my son's life shouldn't be negatively impacted for 20 minutes of, quote, action, unquote, which, you know, <laughs> Twitter exploded over action, meaning sexual activity. And his father right. said, no, that's not what I meant. Uh, my son's a good kid. He's he's sick over what happened. He can't eat his favorite foods anymore. He doesn't eat ribeye anymore, which he loves. It's like, dude, I, I mean, so this guy clearly clueless. And then the kid's mother writes a letter and the kid's mother says how awful it will be for her son to have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. You know, nowhere. Oh, and then the judge, you know, this kid's got such a, a brilliant athletic career ahead of him. He's suffered enough. We're just going to give him six months, even though the maximum sentence is like 15 years or something like that. I, yeah. I mean, there are so many people involved in right. that story who could be a, the dick in in that in this scenario it started making me wonder that this family the turner family belongs on the family feud chris that's a great idea let's play it let's just play a quick lightning round here for our uh because we've got a great guest coming up here but let's just play a quick lightning round of the feud i want to see the turner family who would you like to see them go up against? Just in a oh quick boy, to see let's how they see. Do. What family has taken center stage in the last six to twelve months in America and really made asses of themselves? It's the Drup family. On my right, we've got the Donald, the- Malanka, <laughs> Ivanka, Shapenka, Malinka, and Diana. It's the Turner family against the Drump family. Everybody, please welcome the Drump family. Donald, how are you? Excellent. Uh, I love to compete. Um, and congratulations to the Turners. 
You know, yeah, you had a great run. Uh, you know, who's to say what happened? And don't worry about the sex offender thing. You know, when I take office, uh, all kinds of changes. There's going to be so much winning in America with white males. Uh, it's temporary. You're going to be in good shape. So Thank don't, you, Donald. Don't even worry about let me, it. Let me, let me lean over the podium here and give you a kiss. Like I do to all our guests here on The Feud. And now let's go to the other side and meet the Turner family. Brock, who do you have joining you today? Welcome to The Feud. What's up? You going to kiss me? (laughs) No, I'm not, Brock. I'm not going to kiss you. In fact, I'm going to push you behind a dumpster after the show, bitch. All right. right, Who else do you have with you, Brock? What do you got? This is my pops. This is my dad. And this is my mom. These are my parents. They've stood right by me. Hello, Mrs. Turner here. There you go, Mrs. Turner. That's this it. lovely this lady the, on the end. This is my uh, this is my s- sister. Your attorney? Yeah, is that your attorney. Yeah, she's new. She's uh, uh we're keeping her busy. Attorney. We're keeping her. <laughs> All right. Well, let's play a lightning round. Let's play the feud. All right. Six hundred people were surveyed, and the top five answers to this question. What crime in America over the last couple of decades can you pretty much be assured you can get away with? Donald. Yeah, uh, you can get away with launching a, a fake university, offering no degrees or education whatsoever. A fake, okay, a fake university. Well, let's take a look. Fake university! <laughs> All right, well, the Turners, the Turners can steal. Brock, what do you have? Do you want to talk to your family, or do you have something? No, I got this. Uh, you can uh, you can get away with, uh, with, with asking a chick out, especially if you're an athlete, and then when you get done with the date, regardless of how it goes, you can take her behind a dumpster and do whatever you want with her. Let's see if it's up there. Rape! And there you go, the Turners. Well done on the lightning Thanks for playing the feud. Thank you. You guys are the beneficiaries of falling standards here in the United States. Congratulations on winning the lightning round. We'll have you back next week. Thanks for playing. The Turner family. What a dick. Dick picks. Dick picks. All right, let's get to today's guest, the real meat of the interesting content here on Middle Ground. He is... America's most popular paranormal podcast host. He has two programs, the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire, both of which can be found on jimherald.com. And he has literally an international listener base to these two podcasts, focusing on the paranormal. He's uh, actually written four books, and I believe all four of them went to number one in the supernatural category, bestsellers on Amazon.com. His fifth book, Campfire 5, comes out in the fall. So let's give a really warm middle ground welcome to our guest in the paranormal world, Mr. Jim Harold. (laughs) 
Well, Jim, hey, first of all, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate the time. You're a busy guy with your own podcasts. Yes, um, I have several podcasts, uh, free and premium, and do the Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. So it's a lot of fun and kind of a different way to make a living. You're the first podcaster. You're the first podcaster we've had on our podcast. So congratulations, you've crossed over in that sense. That's right. Hey, but before that. we get started, I have to ask. This is question number one. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh yes, I believe in ghosts. Now, do I believe that each and every time that somebody says they've seen a ghost, that's really a ghost? No, not necessarily. But I do believe in ghosts. Sounds like, you know, week after week after week, you've got story after story. So I guess after hearing all these stories and, and putting them out into the world, you you must start to question uh, that there's another dimension out there, right? Oh, absolutely. I think there is another dimension. I think that, uh, you know, you've heard of Plato's allegory of the cave. I think that's kind of what we are as humans. We see bits and pieces of reality, but I don't think we see the full picture. And uh, I think sometimes we kid ourselves when we think we do. Human beings are a pretty arrogant race. Oh, yeah. You know, even the the whole idea about life in outer space and other planets. And, you know, it, it just cracks me up that we put a plaque on the moon that said, you know, we came here in peace as if people are going to read English, <laughs> you know, or aliens are going to read English. You know, I mean, it's uh, it, we're just very arrogant in thinking that that other beings are going to look like us, sound like us, uh, breathe yep. the same kind of elements that we breathe. And, True. you know, who knows what is out there that we know nothing about? Well, I'm curious. Yeah, I'm curious about you, Jim. You know, you have, have provided a great platform for people to come on and share these different stories and kind of in a non-judgmental way like Chris and I try and do here. My question for you, you is, did you have any uh, encounters with things like this growing up? Or can you tell me a little bit about how you got attracted to this in the first place, how you were so open to it? Yeah, well, let, I, I'll give you the long the long version. <laughs> uh, basically, <laughs> we've got plenty of time. It's a podcast. But anyway, <laughs> well, ba well, basically, what happened was is when I was there were a couple of ghost stories or super I should say supernatural stories that floated around my family, uh, both involving my dad, who was uh, who he's still alive. Uh, thank goodness he's eighty years old now. But uh, two specific stories. One was kind of a creepy UFO story, and one was a ghost story. And these were both things that he swore that happened to him. And and luckily for him, he had somebody with him both times who collaborated uh, the stories perfectly. One was my mom uh, with the kind of UFO story. And with the ghost story, it was my late uncle. Uh, and I grew up with these stories. So I think in some ways hearing my dad retell these stories, and my dad was not, you know, he wasn't trying to uh, release his chakras or sleep with a pyramid under his bed or, uh, you know... <laughs> You know, he didn't practice the secret before there was the secret. He was a steel worker, so a real salt-of-the-earth guy. But I heard, the, and basically the, the message I got was, hey, I know what happened to me. Uh, it happened to me. I don't know what it was. I can't explain it, but it happened. And and then as a kid, and, and you guys, I think we're a similar age. I'm in my mid-40s. I um, loved In Search Of as a kid with Leonard Nimoy. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, I remember uh, that. Oh, yeah, that that was the creepiest. I, but I love that show. So you know, I grew up, and uh, in my growing up years, if I go to a library or a bookstore, you know, the one of the first sections I'd hit would be, you know, the paranormal section, which at that time was like maybe five books. Um, so <laughs> I remembered that, and I always had an interest in it, and uh, I ended up going to school for broadcasting, and ended up working on the business side of media. And I was in my mid-30s, this is 11 years ago, and I'm like, 
I was supposed to be like, I, I planned on being on air, you know, whether it was uh, actually more of my school was for TV, not radio, but I was planned on being on air and I ended up working in advertising. Mm. And it's like, wait a minute, what happened? You know, I've got a wife, two kids, a mortgage, the whole thing. It's like, not like I can quit my job and go become a DJ in Montana. <laughs> so I heard about this thing called podcasting way back in 2005. There were a few people doing it back then. And I listened to people like Adam Curry, who was brilliant and, you know, from MTV, fantastic. Oh, yeah. The, one of the and, first uh, MTV DJs. Yeah. VJs. Yeah, VJs, the pod father. They call him. Uh, and then uh, Leo Laporte, the great tech broadcaster who had been on tech TV and ZDTV and radio and syndicated. And he started a podcast. And I, I found out about that. And I'm like, I'm listening to these guys. Oh, I can't do that. These guys are great. Then I listened to some of the homemade podcasts. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can't maybe do what Leo and, <laughs> and Adam do, but I can do what these guys are doing. So I started as a hobby in 2005 with a show called The Paranormal Podcast, which I just released the 434th episode of that this week. Wow. On Ouija boards, by the way. And that was 2005. 2009, I started Jim Harold's Campfire, which I think in many ways is probably my most successful podcast. That's the one that seems to resonate with people uh, the most. And within a couple of years, uh, 2012, I, you know, I... had started making some money through advertising and premium podcasts and and uh, quit the day job and became a full-time podcaster. But I should say back in 2005, and I think it's important for would-be podcasters to know, when I decided I was going to podcast, I said it has to be something I'm passionate about, I'm legitimately interested in, you know, not something that I'm just, a lot of people say, oh, you were smart. Uh, you did the paranormal because of all these TV shows. Well, actually, most of the TV shows I don't even particularly like. And uh, I did it because I was fascinated by it. And it's really been great because I've gotten to talk to all these authors and all these experts. And I still don't know what's going on, but it, it's been great. <laughs> wow. So do you find yourself, are, are you chasing guests or going out researching and looking for guests? Or are people coming to you now? A little bit of both. Um, over the years, it's become uh, easier to, to get the bigger names. Uh, you know, I've had George Norrie from Coast to Coast AM on the show, I've had James Von Prague, who was the guy behind the TV series The Ghost Whisperer. Um, I now I'm getting where I can I can get New York Times bestsellers and so forth. It wasn't always like that. Uh, occasionally, somebody will say no, but most of the times they say yes. And pretty much anybody in the paranormal field these days, uh, I can get almost almost anybody and a lot of people do approach me so it's kind of a mixture now so you've probably become become a pretty important part of that community and a, and a voice for that community because you know you don't other than the shows you mentioned you don't really see it a lot in mainstream media that often well there i, I don't want to make it like i'm the only paranormal podcaster there's there's lots of paranormal podcasts out there one of the funny things i think is when i started in 2005 i was trying to figure out what to call my my first show and it's like well it's a podcast and it's paranormal what should I call it? <laughs> oh, the Paranormal Podcast. And then I'm like, oh, somebody's got that. And I'm like, no, they don't. Buy that Snag domain. It. Buy that domain. Snag it wow. Right well done. <laughs> so it was really very, it was fantastic for SEO. I mean, now if you type in Paranormal Podcast, you can guess who comes up like number one, three, and four, and five, and seven. Yep. It's me. And I think that's a, that's actually helped me quite a bit. But, but back to your question, 
I don't know that I, I don't like to say I'm an important part. I, I I think that as far as podcasts go, I'm certainly probably one of the more respected people in in paranormal podcasting. And I think, uh, as you know, um, podcasting is just increasing exponentially every day. And I really do believe that we're just at the beginning. Um, you know, 11 years in, I feel like I'm just on the ground floor now. Now is when it's starting to take off. You're seeing more interest from advertisers. You're seeing more interest from listeners. And I, I believe the biggest thing since uh, 2005 that's happened to change out are smartphones. I mean, it used to be oh, used yeah. to plug your phone up and sync it with iTunes and then all of this. And now with car integration with your phone, you know, it's uh, it's really becoming ubiquitous and everybody, pretty much everybody is, and I was going to say every adult, but many, many kids too are carrying around the perfect podcast receiver. Yep. And we as podcasters can do something that Walter Cronkite couldn't do, that Edward R. Murrow couldn't do. That you know the greats of broadcasting couldn't do. We can reach a worldwide audience, and we can do it all from uh, our house. It's amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna change my whole the interior of my house. I'm gonna put all those clocks on the wall with the different times throughout the world. Yes. With, and then I'm gonna start. <laughs> yes, wear, like and I'm that. gonna start wearing big horn rim glasses, and I'm gonna start smoking cigarettes. We need to do those. You have to you you have to pause uh, pregnantly and and. Uh, <laughs> Today in the news. <laughs> We're talking to a perv in Seattle who claims they know. <laughs> well, this is a great... No, but hey, I, I'm glad that not too many people are doing paranormal podcasts because then it's going to become normal and then we can't have that. So we, we got to keep it pretty exclusive. Well, let's talk uh, philosophy. So you've heard so many of these stories and I'd just be curious. And I've got a couple myself from my family and that I think have been pretty verified and pretty true. So I don't... When, it, when people tell me these things, I tend to believe them. So I, I'm, I'm on board. You don't have to convince me. But when you think about these stories and you hear these stories, when you think, like, generally speaking, what do you think these spirits are hanging around for? I have to ask that question. It fascinates me. <laughs> I have two or three different theories about it. Now, first of all, I want to make it clear. Uh, I do believe the vast majority of people who call into my campfire show that they believe something's going on. Do I always necessarily believe they're correct? No. But so I want to make it clear. I don't necessarily believe in each and every claim of a ghost. But but let, putting that aside, I think there are cases where there is something to it. And I think there are a few different possibilities. Uh, one of them is the idea of a loved one, you know, who is uh, coming back to either check on someone or give them a sign or that kind of thing. That's that's another thing. Uh, the one possibility, which is one of the more disturbing ones to me, is this idea of trapped spirits. Maybe people who died suddenly, died violently, um, and uh, don't know they're dead Ooh. and uh, are confused. Now, I don't know if I buy that or not, but that's one of the theories out there. And I find that probably the most disturbing one. Um, uh, the other idea is that maybe not all ghosts are Aunt Millie. For example, I think about the Ouija board, which I just said we did a show on this last week on the Paranormal Podcast, which if you're going to listen to one of my shows, that's one of the best shows we've ever done with a fantastic guest by the name of Robert Murch, who is the foremost historian on Ouija boards. But nevertheless, I always wonder 
when when somebody uses a Ouija board, if they are in fact contacting something, could it be what you would call an imposter spirit? Could it be somebody pretending to be Aunt Millie, uh, uh, but actually something far more sinister? Because uh, people I have talked to who know far, far more about this than I do say that there are non-human entities. And to me, that would be the scariest thing. And then the final thing I think about when it comes to uh, haunted locations and those kind of things is what is many people will call uh, either residual hauntings or the stone tape theory. And what that is, is the idea that it's it's not really something visiting, uh, but it's like a replay. Like, uh, I think you guys, like me, are old enough to remember tapes, you know, tapes oh, tape yeah. erased, yep. erased well, and you would play it back and you'd hear like this uh, electronic chatter. Um, the idea that something is so horrific or so emotion-packed uh, that it imprints itself on the environment and it replays itself. And, and a lot of times, supposedly, you'll see these kind of things in prisons, in uh, asylums, in hospitals, in theaters, places where there's a lot of emotion. And the one thing I think is very interesting, I had a guest on who is, now, you want to talk about paranormal expert. This guy's an expert. And he he knows all about this stuff going back to the 1800s. When really all this stuff started, it didn't just start in the last five years with the ghost hunting shows, but his name is Lloyd Auerbach, and he's one of the most knowledgeable people on this that you'll ever want to see. And he was doing, he's been on TV shows and things, and uh, um, and they'll contact him as a consultant and so forth because he has a great reputa- reputation. He's, he's a great interview, good on camera, and extremely knowledgeable. So he's doing some work for the TV show Sightings from the 1990s, if you remember that mm-hmm. show. And the uh, case was a case where there was a horrific murder in this house. And people kept seeing a replay of the murder. Now, you would think, oh, well, it's haunted. The the, the murderer, you know, and the, the murderee, it's just replaying. They're both dead, but that was the catch. They weren't both dead. The murderer was actually still alive on death row. But this scene would play over and over, and people would report that they see this happening in this location, even though the man's very much alive. And something like that would lend itself to that whole stone tape residual kind of situation. The truth is, I I don't necessarily think if there is an answer, there's one answer. And, and I would extend this to almost every thing in the supernatural we, we talk about. I think it might be multiple answers. And it's not clean and it's not neat. Uh, the thing about the paranormal that's tough when you get into it, it it's like... Uh, you know, it's uh, it's like uh, Kevin Costner in JFK, the movie, where <laughs> we're through the looking glass here. Um, I mean, up is down, down is up. You're in a hall of mirrors, and there aren't any clean, clear uh, answers. And that might sound like a cop-out, but I also happen to think that it's true. Uh, you know, you remember I talked about Jim, I have to cut you off. You right, Jim, I need to cut you off and let you know that you're yeah. talking to someone who I think— when Kevin Costner said that in the movie, in that scene, to that group of yeah. to that group of his staffers, uh, my partner here was one yeah. of those staffers. In I, the, I was going to say I, I didn't want to interject. I didn't want to say I anything. I was to. actually Chris. Chris I was, was actually in that, in movie. that movie. Chris was in that scene. Oh, you were in that movie. Yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah, we're through the looking now, glass here, the people. Ch- what, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that now? That's supernatural. Talk about synchronicity. Is that weird or I, what? When you said that, I was like, oh my god, how did he know that? That's that's so bizarre. <laughs> 
It's a great movie, by the way. It was a good Congratulations movie. Congratulations for being a part of history. Well, it was a long, it was a long time ago, believe me. And it's still on film. I give that movie a lot of credit. Actually, I also do some shows on conspiracy theories, and I think that the one oh, yeah. that that puts the most, and I know I'm getting off topic here, but puts the most juice to the idea of the legitimacy, legitimacy of conspiracy theories is, I think anybody that believes the JFK assassination at face value, I think is kidding themselves. Now, people may disagree, but that's, that's the way I feel. And I think one of the reasons that it really got a revival of interest and people started looking at it again was that that movie whether you believe it was the uh you know uh, uh military industrial complex or not but but i uh but i digress <laughs> <laughs> that is so cool i'm so well, impressed yeah well going back to what you said i always thought that that something like that that was so violent and shook the country if not the world in such a violent way and it had such a psychic effect on the country for Decades and decades and decades, and in some ways, in, as a country morally, we we still haven't recovered. If there was an ever an opportunity for a ghost or a psychic movement or something like that, that was it. Like that was the moment that was like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not saying I'm seeing the ghost of JFK walking around, but there was an ever an opportunity for a ghost to go. Wait a minute, I shouldn't have been killed there. That was one. I mean, that just one that comes to my mind. That's actually a really good point, Chris. It was such a an impactful event, not only in history, but on every single person who was alive at that time and even after that time i remember when i was a kid and i don't know how much weight we want to put on this and jim you've probably had people tell stranger stories on your show but i used to i was obsessed with the kennedy assassination and the kennedy presidency i thought Mm -hmm. it was so cool that there was a 46 year old president in the white house who would play touch football on the lawn with you know john john and you know it was so different than when i started to come of age it was nixon and ford and carter these were to me these were old men you know right. and so you look back and you're like wow that was so cool to have little kids in the white house and this you know mid middle-aged guy who was so vital and alive and you know attractive and all that stuff i was convinced that i was john kennedy reincarnated Oh, yeah. So I had that feeling too. Well, but wait, wait. So, and I I worked it out in my head, right? Assassination was 63. I was born in 67. So, of course, you know, my my soul took a couple of years to regenerate, whatever. And then later in in my life, I I started to play golf and I had back problems. And I was like, Did you become an incredible womanizer? No, (laughs) just kidding. Chris, you want to answer that question for him? (laughs) No, because you stole my theory. My theory was I came back as JFK, but I accidentally came back too soon soon and that five years was not enough recovery time and that I came back and it all got it got all messed up and that there's people on the other side that are like you know what we sent him back too soon we got to get him back here he's having terrible luck with women we knew we were going to make him pay Maybe for they that they tried with you and gave up and then it, I came along and I don't know which one of us is they're, older they're, they're, but ask but, not what you can do for your podcast that's ask right. what your podcast can do for you but you can imagine how freaked out I was as a college graduate I go straight to Los Angeles I'm going to try out being an actor First movie I land, JFK. Synchronicity, synchronicity. Another thing that we talk about on the show. Yeah, I was a little weirded out by that at the time, but it was, you know, it's. I'm it's, weirded out, but I pulled that quote out of thin air and I had absolutely no idea. That is strange. Boy, who would have thought this conversation would go to JFK? But I, I want to ask, you know, you mentioned um, the all of the different things that we think and the different dimensions and the different ways that these paranormal uh, existences can exist that we don't understand. But here's another problem I have, and I'll play the skeptic for a moment. 
um, okay. of human beings being so arrogant because you know every single species of animal has crazy tragic deaths every time you walk down the sidewalk you're probably killing an ant tragically at the moment what about their souls are there like paranormal di- different dimensions of ant souls and bees and gophers and cat i mean it's not it can't be just humans right why would it be well it's interesting because i have a show on stories of the, the, the pets who have visited their owners uh, you know, people will hear, you know, there, there'll be a dog euthanized because, you know, it was ill or whatever. And then, then people will hear the collar. Then, you know, if, if anybody's ever owned Aww. a dog, yep. you know that each dog has that collar with the tags and they each have a unique sound. You know which dog's coming. And people will hear that. Now, again, some would say that's their imagination. They're projecting. They're hoping that this happens. But there have been many cases and several books written on the topic of, of pets. I mean, you know, at some point, it's like, do you really think that ants have souls? But um, I don't know the answer to it. I, I mean, I do think that um, domestic pets and uh, in, in, in higher life forms of pets, there's something going on. I mean, they seem very um, intuitive. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the case with this gorilla uh, down in, what was it, Cincinnati? Yeah. That was, that was heartbreaking. and. You wonder, I mean, it's a tough call. Do you, do you, do you shoot that? Uh, do you try to tranquilize it? Uh, but uh, everybody's Monday morning quarterbacking it now, including me. But then if the kid dies, then everybody's really Monday morning quarterbacking it. So uh, I think the jury's out on that one. I think there's a possibility. Now, I wouldn't go as far as to say insects or ants. But again, that's my arbitrary opinion. Who who knows if that's right or wrong? Well, it- and if we were to take this further, I would say, why couldn't it be insects? Or why not? What? Where do we draw the line? On yeah, this? no, it's a fair point. Right. I and mean, who makes it? And who really uh, makes the choice to come to Earth as an insect? That's a poor. Got to think you can yeah. do a lot better. Well, there. isn't it? Uh, isn't it a tenet of reincarnation? You know, you can, uh, as part of karma, be uh, reincarnated as a low quote lower form of life. But uh, you talk about reincarnation. I have a great campfire story. Uh, about that, if you don't mind if I share it. No, please uh, do. Yeah. This one was from the United Kingdom. I believe the woman's name was Michelle. Now, this was in my first book so this several years ago. But um, her little boy was, I think, three or four years old. This off the top of my head, but about three or four years old. And uh, they're sitting, and they have the windows open to the garden. They call it the garden over there because it's a beautiful day. All of a sudden, they hear uh, a biplane. Uh, you know, the old kind of uh, uh, World War One-style Red Baron airplane uh, going by, and this little boy proceeds to tell them that sounds like the plane. He says, that sounds like the—maybe he was five. That sounds like the plane that killed me. And they said, oh. And uh, his mom <laughs> didn't say much because she just wanted him to talk. And and he said, oh, yes. Uh, remember when I was here before and I was a man and I was named Stephen? And I was sitting with my girlfriend at my mother's house, and the the plane crashed in, and I was bleeding all over. And he's telling this real elaborate story. And uh, she didn't probe. She didn't ask any questions. She actually says now she wishes that she had, but this boy now is like 20 years old or something. But he was literally telling a story of getting killed by a biplane ostensibly in the First World War uh, in his home. I don't know if it was a bombing or or, or what it would have been, but he told this elaborate story of, of being killed in another life. 
and I've always been very fascinated by these stories, and they seem to go across many cultures. Now, I do think something about reincarnation. A lot of people come back, and you know, because a lot of people say. I was a president, or I was a princess, or <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. a prince. You know, <laughs> yeah. not a lot of people coming back saying, "Well, I dug ditches." <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, that's right. But 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 the point is, there's enough of those stories across cultures that I'm very interested. In. And and if anybody is interested in serious study of reincarnation, I would refer you to the work of Jim B. Tucker from the University of Virginia. He's studied this for years. He's been featured. On television, he has books out about it, and actually his mentor, a gentleman named Dr. Ian Stevenson, uh, did studies on this years before, and this is a mainstream a mainstream um, uh, academe. So if you're interested in reincarnation, and if it's a possibility, I'd look up the, the work of Jim B. Tucker. So I got, I got hooked on some of this stuff a couple of years ago. I was watching uh, the Bio Channel or one of those cable TV channels where a celebrity would come. A celebrity ghost stories. This was yeah, from a I couple remember years that. ago. I remember one now, from, Did you watch uh, it? I got to tell you, those are, yeah. Yeah, and I have to say, they're pretty well done just from a production standpoint. They get me hooked. I don't know how true they are, but I don't know what it is about uh, creative people being more spiritually open to stuff like this, but some of those were pretty good. And uh, to your point about a lot of this stuff going back to the 1850s and 60s, it seems like I come across a lot of these things where, like, there's a lot of Civil War ghosts out there. Like, going back to your theory of people maybe not knowing they were killed, so they're going into battle, they die violently, and they just never crossed over to the other side. you think there's something to that? Oh, I think there could be, and there's also that whole thing about the idea of... Uh, Things happening where there's a lot of emotion. Yep. Uh, that residual haunting idea is uh, a big part of the idea behind uh, battlefield hauntings and those kind of things. But um, but you never. But that war. Chris, to Chris's point, though, you you know, in like civil war, you get brother against brother, sometimes families yeah. against families. So it was a lot of emotionally charged stuff going. You don't hear a lot of ghost stories from the Persian Gulf War, for example. You know. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Now that's a very good point. And of course. The Persian Gulf, where that happened, was over there, and the Civil War is over here. Right. So that that could have part of it, uh, part of it to, to to happen with that, um, and and certainly I think some of it are probably akin to fish stories, you know, fishing stories, mm-hmm. uh, but not P H I S A, but like <laughs> I caught one this big, but uh, I I really do believe that there there is something something to it, something that we. We don't quite know. I mean, you have somebody brilliant like Edison trying to build a telephone to the dead. Not a stupid man. Right. Well, what about, have you ever addressed on your show, I think it was back 1907, Dr. Duncan McDougall tried to weigh, tried to find out the weight of oh, a yes, soul. Oh, yes, the soul, the, tw- yeah. the 21 grams thing. Not a, great, yeah. not a great movie, but based on that concept that, you know, just for people who don't know, so he would weigh dead bodies and then compare right. them to the weight of that same body before it died, and it was always 21 grams lighter as a dead body than it was just before death. So he you know, sort of extrapolated that the soul left the body and weighed 21 grams. Do you, have you Is ever... Is that where that comes from? Yeah. I never knew yes. that. Yes. That's, that's exactly that. where it comes yeah. from. I've never, you know, I remember seeing, I don't know if you guys remember it, back in the uh, 70s and early 80s, there were these movies, these really kind of crummy movies, but they, 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 uh, they I always wanted to go see them. They're like... Uh, uh, mysteries of the unexplained and somebody like uh, Orson Welles or somebody would I'd go uh, see narrate him. them. Absolutely. Yeah, yep. I love those I, things. I saw. Uh, and one of those was that very study. 
It was one of the ones mm. I remember that very specifically. The one of the ones that Orson uh, Wells uh, did. Um, so I've always been fascinated by that study, but I've never really looked into it much because I've not seen much of the, out there on it. So that'll be a good one for me to follow up. But I firmly believe that there's something. I I mean, do I? Can I prove it? No. But I do believe there's something that that survives us beyond the state. And there has been a lot of interesting work done on things like near-death experiences Mm -hmm. and people being able to see things that they shouldn't be able to see. We had one on the campfire, and I can't recall the particulars of it, but essentially uh, this woman had been a, a, a medic for a helicopter. And she had worked on this guy and uh saved his life but he was dead for a while and then i don't know if it was a year or two later she saw him again and she remembered him uh and he said uh he said hey i don't know if you remember but you worked on me and here's everything that happened while i was gone and he relayed all these specific like the color of suit that the one person was wearing and it was really fascinating he shouldn't have been able to see any of that because he was, quote, dead mm-hmm. and unconscious, but he was able to see all of it. And that's part of the thing that's always fascinating with me with the near-death experience stuff is that people floating, seeing people work on them, seeing things they're not supposed to see. Um, and, of course, the, the, the real gold standard for that is uh, Dr. Raymond Moody, who is one person I've not had on the show that I'd love to have on the show who did the, the kind of seminal work on that life after life. Well, that leads me to my next question. Have you had, uh, just go right to the source and like had uh, spiritual mediums, people who go around the country and make a lot of money, uh, who would have that ability to communicate to people who've crossed over to the other side. Have you had those kinds of people on your show? Oh, oh yeah. And, and, and I mean, I think that that's a case where, and I'll be very honest with you, I have had uh, mediums on and in almost every medium, pretty much every medium I have on, I ask the same question. I say, you know, and I try to be very kind about it, but I say, you know, a lot of people, when they hear the name psychic, they think of the name, uh, they think automatically fraud. Uh, What would you say to that? How would you answer that concern that people might have? And every one of them has been uh, nice about it, except one guy got really PO'd, I could tell, because he said, well, you know, there are many dishonest radio hosts out there, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I said, well, actually, you're probably right. Uh, but anyway, uh, yes, I do have them on. I want to tell you a little story that happened to me and my wife that validated one of the psychics. So anyway, uh, what I would do a lot of times when I have a psychic on is I will uh, schedule calls with my listeners and we'll we'll edit it. And, and we don't change the content, but... Basically, I'll call them up and I'll count down and I'll say, okay, and I'll edit it together to make it sound like a call-in show. Hmm. So uh, I was wondering if you actually took I, live calls. That'd be tough. Yeah, what we do is basically people sign up, I call them, and then then we stitch it together uh, for Campfire. But anyway, we do the same thing with the psychic shows. So first time I ever had, I think it was the first time, uh, a psychic out of Pennsylvania by the name of Carol Obley, and she was just on maybe a month ago. And uh, I had my wife on as a caller, but I didn't identify her as my wife. <laughs> and I just said, uh, Dar is with us from Ohio. And uh, uh, Carol, what do you see for her? And she told her some things. And it is true. They say with psychics, you, rem- you forget the misses and you remember the hits. But I will tell you this one. Um, she said, you know, I see a young man telling my wife this. I see a young man. um, 
someone had died very unexpectedly, very young. You were friendly with, I'm getting a, a Robert or Robert. Uh, and he just wants you to know that he says hello. Well, my wife's best friend in high school was named Bob, who committed mm-hmm. suicide several years ago. Oh, now, wow. <laughs> there is no way, there's no way that she would have known that. No way. I mean, it's nothing that my wife posted. First of all, my I I'm for privacy reasons, I don't include my family on the shows a lot. I just uh, I've right. made that decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not like my people who listen to my shows or go into my wife's Facebook page. Um, uh, frankly, I don't think she's ever posted on social media about this person. This was something literally Carol would have no idea, no idea whatsoever. Now, was it a lucky guess? Maybe, but boy, that was kind of like uh, you sunk my battleship. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> she hit it dead on. Have you ever had a story or or a, some kind of encounter where it just scared the crap out of you? Really made your sh- your spine shake. I mean, you ever have anything like that where you go, "Wow, it is a scary universe we live in out there." Well, I will tell you one that kind of freaked me out. Um, a story that was on the campfire, and 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 again. I don't know if it's true or not, but it's a hell of a story. Um, Stelman talked about when he was little and his wife, uh, not his wife, his mother bought uh, uh, a uh, painting at a garage sale. And according to his mom, these people were into some black magic or some kind of weird thing, supposedly. So anyway, she brought it home and weird stuff kept happening. It kept falling off the wall, all these crazy things. And then at nighttime, and, and I guess his mom was separated or divorced, so it was basically him, his mom, one of his mom's friends, and that person's daughter. So I think there were four people there. And they lived in an apartment, and then all of a sudden they had the painting downstairs, and every night they would hear, like, this moaning and this crying. And uh, there was a... uh, It was a picture of a woman in a rocking chair. So anyway... uh, it just kept going, getting worse every night, worse every night, worse every night. And then one night, it's like the woman is screaming. There's a woman screaming. And and it was, she said, he said, felt like it was shaking the walls. They all ran out to the car. As they were going out to their car, they could see back into the house. And guess what was sitting in their room there? A, a rocking chair with the woman in it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <laughs> now, so the, the the painting literally came to life wow. again. I don't know, but wow! I, I mean, that was a frightening one. Um, there's one about uh, this is maybe the weirdest one we ever had on the show. It's called the Roadhouse Saloon. A little more involved, but it's kind of worth it. Uh, this woman, uh, this was up in Wisconsin. It was a rural kind of area. And her and a gentleman friend went to see a band, and they closed the place down, and they were coming back home, and she felt the call of nature. And that was after closing time, so they didn't expect to find anything. But then they found, like an oasis (laughs) at the crossroads, a place that was open. And they went in. There were cars in the parking lot, and then these people kind of waved them in to come in. And they were kind of weird people. They looked at them kind of funny. They didn't talk a lot. They just kind of smiled. And uh, her friend was an artist. He said, I'm glad we're here. There's this interesting mural on the wall. It was like an old West motif. He said, I'm really glad we came here. I've heard about this. I wanted to see it. So anyway, she goes to the restroom, comes back. He gets a couple of beers. 
And uh, this guy comes up to her who has like these nasty teeth and says, hey, do you want to dance? And she says, no, no. And she holds up. She has a cane. She walks with a cane. She says, I can't dance. Uh, And it was Chubby Checker's Let's Twist Again. So anyway, (laughs) this will come back in the story. There's a reason for this. This really sounds like something out of the Twilight Zone or Night Gallery. Anyway, so basically what happens is uh, just people smiling. They look around. They notice on this mural that it's this old West motif, and the people on the wall in the picture mirror the people in the bar. There's a couple of guys playing pool, and there's a couple of these Western guys playing billiards. Uh, there's a, kind of this beefy, burly uh, bartender, good-looking guy, similar guy in the picture. And then they start to look. There's like these swinging doors like there were in those old TV Westerns. You'll remember the swinging mm-hmm. doors in the picture. And they notice like these two figures are developing into the picture. And it, it's almost like an old Polaroid. And they keep looking and they looking. It's like it's a man. It's a taller man. And then they see a woman with a skirt with a cane. Mm. And <laughs> so they basically look at each other and say, let's get out of here. They said they closed the door. The minute they closed the door, all the lights shut off of the place. There were no cars in the parking lot. And they peeled out. Now. That's not the end. So anyway, uh, this caller, her name is T.I., is very adventurous, obviously, and said, I'm going to go see what's going on. So she went with a friend, not that late at night, different person. I guess the guy, he was like me. He would never step foot in there again. And um, there was a young woman attending the bar. They said, hey, where's the big burly bartender? And she said, we don't have anybody like that. That's My dad is elderly, and he's the only other bartender. And they said, what about your jukebox? And, no, it's right over there. And they looked at it, and the jukebox that was there with Chubby Checker on it, well, that was the old-time vinyl jukebox. Right, records. Well, the, this new one, <laughs> the the jukebox was there. Now it was a modern CD jukebox. And, oh, by the way, no Chubby Checker to be found. And that's Stored House Alone. Mm, so who told you that story? One of my callers, her name is T.I. She's from Wisconsin. She's told hmm. the story a couple of times, and it is extremely wild. Extremely wild, I will admit it. I do wonder about things like alternate dimensions and time slips and those kind of things. So maybe that's what she fell into. So uh, I think it's a it's a great story. What about, have you ever had people who were possessed or claimed to be possessed? Like, I remember one of my favorite horror movies on this topic was The Entity. Yeah, remember oh, yeah. that, Is that movie? the one with uh, Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey, yeah, and she's she's actually beaten and raped by by. A... Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, I remember that. And it's actually suppo- uh, supposedly. I mean, the reason it was such a scary story is yes. it was supposedly true. And... Yeah, and in fact, I think we did a show at one point several years ago on that original story, but I can't remember when and who it was with. But yeah, that was based on a true story. Um, I did have somebody who claimed that I think his mother was possessed. And that she would basically, if she uh, she had a succession of, I guess, like boyfriends after she got divorced and with her dad, and that at certain times it would seem like this woman would turn into someone else and start talking in this weird voice and 
and um, and and uh, that kind of thing. So yeah, I guess we've had a couple of those stories. No, but I don't think anybody who personally says that, that they were possessed. Well, and it kind of crosses over into that area of schizophrenia, where you know multiple personalities, which which is yeah. a is a real right. psychi- it, psychiatric psychological phenomenon, but but can get into this weird area that maybe they're possessed. Right. Well, that's the thing is that I always try to keep in mind. You know, and I have had people call, you know, have emailed me and things, and, and obviously they're disturbed or something. And I think you got to be careful with that. And, uh, you know, if I sense that, that, I try to stay away from the standpoint of I don't want to feed into somebody's illusions. Right. Uh, but for the most part, I mean, I deal with a lot of people who <laughs> you would never know have had a paranormal experience. And one of the most common things I hear is this. Well, I don't know if I buy into all this stuff, but there was this one time, and then they'll tell you your story. <laughs> right. And I think almost everybody has that one time, and that's why I think the podcast has been so popular and the four books have been so popular, is because I think everybody, either they themselves or someone they know, like, and trust, have had uh, something they think may be a supernatural experience. But to your knowledge, is there... Is this still considered sort of a marginalized area of study, or is there any serious scientific research or academic educational institutions, you know, that have programs for the paranormal investigation? Clearly, Chris Otto never saw Ghostbusters. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I no that's my point fringe. exactly, though. I, though. I, th- I think it's still pretty fringe. I mean, I did mention, for example, on the reincarnation topic, University of Virginia, Jim B. Tucker. So there are people who are doing work that are, or I just interviewed Dr. Bob Davis, uh, who's with the Edgar Mitchell uh, Foundation, but he also uh, has been a professor at uh, uh, SUNY and and, and and different places. Um, so I guess there's some acceptance, some acceptance uh, among a small percentage of academics but I would still say it's very small, and I'd still still say this field of study, the supernatural, is pretty pretty marginalized, which I think is kind of a shame. Plus, there's no way to really—I mean, if you're talking about studying it as a science, that means you have to measure it, you have to document it, and it's just too hard to do that. You don't know where or when these things are going to pop up. You can't get them on film. You know, it's a difficult thing to— quantify or research. It's just too hard other than going by people's stories. Jim, when when uh, we got the idea to, to do this subject as a podcast and I was d- working with our humongous intern staff and all of the folks here at uh, Middle Ground Headquarters, Louise was involved. Um, she loves it when I mention her name. Um, and we did a lot of research and we could find, we found these these paranormal investigators, especially in big cities, Chicago, New York, and they would list, you know, here's our equipment. We'll come into your house with cameras and lasers and recording devices and, you know, metal detectors and all this. Do, do these people have any credibility to you at all? I would never say that they have no credibility. Um, and, you know, I have people that I, I know and like who are, quote, ghost hunters. Uh, But I will say this, I think when you look at this whole area of the TV shows and, you know, almost, here's why I equate it to, it used to be, you know, when we were growing up as kids in the 70s, um, bowling, at least in my area, was big. Midwest, bowling was huge. And people would uh, 
you know, get shirts and get on teams and everything. And now instead of bowling, people are getting shirts and getting on teams and investigating ghosts. It's almost like bowling, you know, let's go out and do an investigation. So I think it has been a little bit bastardized. I, I do believe that. That doesn't I don't think that means each and every person who does that is is bad or has a bad intention or uh, that that necessarily they're invalid. But the people I've spoken to who I respect in, in this area say, you know, the things are if you're going into someplace, first of all, uh, you know, if you've watched a TV show and been, you know, kind of had this as a hobby for two months, don't go into somebody's house and tell them you're going to clear them <laughs> out of ghosts. Because one, you might, because one, you might cause some kind of actual trauma, mental trauma. And secondly, if there really is something to it, you might stir up whatever it is even worse. Um, that being said, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if it's done responsibly. Uh, but I think that's the key. It has to be done responsibly. And, and yeah, maybe somebody can get, uh, EVP on tape, uh, electronic voice phenomenon. I don't think that's impossible. Um, but I think that the gadgetry is a little overplayed and I think that's mainly due to the TV shows. But I will say this to people who say, oh, this stuff is a bunch of BS. There's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. Absolutely nothing. I would say this. DNA. In 1900, we did not know about DNA. We didn't, I don't, unless I'm missing something, uh, I don't think we even knew it existed. Didn't mean it wasn't there. It meant that we didn't have the technology. We didn't have the skills. We didn't have the ability to, to break it down to even know that it existed and, and to understand what it was and what it did. So just because we don't understand something now doesn't mean that it does exist, but it certainly doesn't mean it doesn't exist because, again, we don't necessarily have the technology, the tools, the knowledge, the understanding to grok it yet. So I, I, I just ask that people keep an open mind. And, and one of my favorite uh, phrases, and I don't know where I got from, but I've been saying it for years, is keep an open mind, but not so open your brains fall out. <laughs> I, I, it's kind of the motto that I kind of try to try to live by. I, I have to ask you this, and I wish I'd asked you this at the top. Do you believe in God? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I, I believe. Let me put it to you this way: I, I come from the Christian faith, and I guess I still consider myself of the Christian faith. Although I think many people out there would say you're not much of a Christian, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> but I personally, I believe that if you look at the intricacies and the tolerances for life and so forth. I believe something had to set this in motion. Now, it might be something as something as the, the, the clockmaker who just kind of wound it up and let it go. It could be something more involved. But I do believe in a higher power. And, uh, but I respect people who don't. I, I mean, I think we're a big world uh, with a lot of different opinions. And just because somebody disagrees with me doesn't mean that they're bad. And just because I disagree with them doesn't mean I'm bad. Uh, I think we'd have a lot better time in the world and in this country if we could realize that not everybody's going to see things the way that, that we see them. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, to, to answer your question, absolutely. I, and that's a whole area. That's why I, I mentioned I wish I'd said it at the, earlier, because I think there's a whole area of religion, you know, and <laughs> even all the Da Vinci Code stuff and, you know, the connection of religion to the paranormal and to things that can't be explained, I think is fascinating. Well, the, 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 that's a funny thing is that I talk to people maybe that go to church and they'll say, well, I don't believe in all that supernatural stuff. And it's like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute. You're of the Christian faith, for example, and you can translate this to different faiths because there's different things. But I, the, I, I will, I will, I will uh, offend the Christians because uh, I'm of the Christian faith. So anyway, the, the, the point is, is that, okay, your main person 
was born of a virgin birth, came down, <laughs> right. lived for 33 years, was hung on a cross and crucified, and then was resurrected. But you don't believe in the supernatural. Wait, Jim. Are, Excuse me? Jim, are you suggesting that there might be hypocrisy involved in some religions? I, I can't believe you'd <laughs> even say that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, well, here's one. Here's one. I was at my nephew's my graduation party and uh, over at my brother's and a friend of his who I've become kind of friends with, the guy's name is Claudio, and his father passed away, and he's from Rome. He lived just outside of Rome. So a few months ago, his father passed away. And it's it's blew me away when he said this, but over in Rome, in a, in, a, in a culture that's, you know, thousands of years old or whatever, there is such a focus on the dead that it blows me away. I would think the older the culture is, the less people would be concerned because they've been through so much, they realize that it, you know it's, it's just a normal thing and blah, blah, blah. But he said, no, you go to Rome, the culture of death is really prevalent. In other words, you're going and you're buying flowers and you're visiting a cemetery a couple times a week to visit with those who have passed. And I was right. blown away by that because with all due respect to my parents and my loved ones and me, Folks, if you if you're getting buried in a cemetery, I'm never going out to visit you. I just believe <laughs> that the spirit has flown, it's gone, and what's left, whether it be the body, the grave, the casket, whatever, has very little to do with the spirit that's gone. So why would I go visit it and spend time with it? It's it's gone. Right. Right. And and you sound just like my wife, by the way. That's exactly that's exactly what she's wow, your your wife but, must have uh, a really deep voice with sort of a Chicago accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, well, hey, what can I say? I love her nevertheless. No, she says exactly the same thing in a slightly different way. But uh, no, I, it is interesting because I think uh, in our culture, we try to sanitize death and we try to stay away from it. I mean, uh, and again, there's another case that just came up with a guest the other day. People used to, you know, have uh, wakes in their homes. But now it's like, you know, you we we don't see dead bodies very often and we don't see people die very often. It's all out of sight. It's all kind of sanitized. And maybe that's part of the uh, appeal of the, the paranormal and the supernatural, maybe to, to get us back in touch in some way with, uh, with death, uh, which has kind of been excised from our modern lives. I mean, geez, I don't want to, I don't want anybody close to me to die. I don't want to die anytime soon. But the one thing I say uh, why this fascinates people so much is, you know, not everybody might see Bigfoot and not everybody might see a UFO or, uh, you know, all, all these other different supernatural things. But I do have some bad news for everyone. We're all going to die and we're all headed <laughs> towards that destination. And we all wonder what that destination is. And I think these kind of shows and this kind of discussion uh, kind of lets us talk about it while still feeling somewhat safe, kind of like a roller coaster. Uh, so I, I think that's part of the reason people are fascinated by this stuff. And I'm amazed at the reception uh, of the Campfire podcast and the, the, the Campfire books. Well, your success doing that stuff is just awesome. And it's, you know, obviously there's a lot of people out there that have a lot to say about this and love to listen to you. talk. And I love listening to you tell your stories. You're obviously a great storyteller. And uh, it's a perfect title for your podcast, The Campfire Story. It is. Right? It, it, it grabs you in because as soon as you say that, Campfire, you know exactly 
what people are talking about. And we've all sat around campfires and heard stories and legends. Yep. It's it's the perfect title. It's really cool. Uh, now, I've got, I've got a really yeah. weird feeling. Now, I'll tell you right now, before I go to bed tonight, I'm digging out my old toy proton pack, and I'm sleeping with it tonight. <laughs> you, might wanna, you know, some Smart electronically move. charged protons to reverse that negative energy of the ghost in the room. Uh, Chris, don't cross the streams. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't cross the Whoa, 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 nice shooting, Tex. Um, <laughs> it would be bad. Yes, that's right. And I know you have a hard stop. So before we let you go, I don't know if you're a listener uh, to some of our podcasts recently, but we do three quick questions we like to throw at you at the at the end. First question, and this will be a good one for you. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a broadcaster. Nice. Wow, you 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 were nice. so close. You're a podcast. Well, you were a broadcaster before. But it didn't even yeah. exist. It didn't even exist. I'm going to give it, so I'm I'm gonna give I it to him. Know. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to yeah, give it we'll to him. Yeah, we'll give it. We round up here on Middle Ground. We give it to you. Uh, second question. What would you attempt, aside from broadcasting, which you're doing well with it now, but what would you like to attempt if you knew that uh, you couldn't fail? I would like to be a singer. Nice. Oh, you'd be a scary singer. Okay. And last Ooh. one. If you could choose one song that comes into your mind that represents your childhood, that just brings you right back, what would that be? Oh, Who are you gonna call? Oh, Who are you gonna call? <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh Jesus, I I can't think of that. I I can't think of anything because I grew up with um, some strange music. Uh, well, the theme to it. No, wait, the theme. Well, that's a good one. Or the theme to In Search of. There you go. Ooh, nice. we're gonna have to dig to, to nice. find that one. That's a good one though. Hey, thank you very much, Jim. Appreciate the time. And this has been. I I think an hour wasn't really enough for us. We probably could have asked you, you know, twenty more questions. So we might have to have you back. Oh, I appreciate it. I would ask one thing, folks, if you want to check out the podcast, go to jimherald.com, iTunes, wherever fine podcasts are heard. And you can also find the Campfire books there. There are four of them with 70 stories each. Lots of spooky reading. A lot of cool stories. The Paranormal Podcast and Jim Harold's Campfire. Love them both. So keep going. You are, you are our new podcasting best friend, Jim. Appreciate your, uh, your coming on. Thanks, Jim. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.